the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. This is the Seth Liebson Show. Seth is not in today. I want to wish all of you a happy Veterans Day. And I am Arizona's Attorney General. Some people refer to me as America's Attorney General, Mark Burnovich. And I am guest hosting for Seth today. It is such a pleasure to be here today. I hope everyone is remembering our veterans and having a safe Veterans Day. I will be here until 6 p.m. we got a lot of great guests lined up. And once again, I just think it's important for all of us, wherever you're at, whether you're in the car, whether you're at home, thank a veteran. Make sure you thank a veteran by the end of the show today because we owe all of these men and women an enormous debt of gratitude for serving our nation. We are the land of the free and the home of the brave because these individuals were willing to defend our freedoms and our liberties. And I actually am going to have a couple of my old army buddies call the show today and they can talk about some of their experiences and why they wanted to wear the uniform. And I also will have some folks from the heritage foundation talking about uh, Congress where we all know good ideas go to die and uh, talking about what's going on with this uh, reconciliation package or the debt to our grandkids and great grandkids bill. I'm also going to have a, one of my colleagues, uh, Attorney General Dave Yost from Ohio, and have him call in, talk about some of the work that he and some of the other AGs are doing throughout this country to make sure we're pushing back against the overreach of the Biden administration and holding those uh, federal uh, officials, bureaucrats accountable. We're also going to have Sheriff Mark Lamb coming in, and we're going to talk about what's happening um, with border security, because border security is national security. And we're also going to have someone come on and talk about uh, – having control of our kids' education. Uh, we got a lot of other guests and uh, hoping maybe uh, even Governor uh, Jan Brewer will have the opportunity to join us and talk to us about her thoughts on uh, the political situation today. And uh, also my friend, I'm hoping Sarah Carter, you sometimes see on Fox, will also be uh, calling us in today. So really quickly, for those of you that don't know me or don't know about me, um, I am the Attorney General of the great state of Arizona. I had never run for any office before I become attorney general. Uh, in fact, I'm a first-generation American, and the thought of someone like me with a funny last name that a lot of people can't spell, uh, you know, public school kid growing up here, going to Shadow Mountain High School, uh, the thought of me being our state chief law enforcement officer was a little bit overwhelming. But I was always brought up with a great sense that, uh, you know, America is the greatest country in the world, and it's offered more freedom and opportunity to more people than any other nation. And I think when your family has not just, you know, studied history but lived history, you you understand this and appreciate it even more. And, you know, my family fleeing communism, uh, I was brought up with a great sense of how fragile liberty and freedom are and how we have an obligation to give back. And I spent much of my career as a prosecutor. You know, I prosecuted gangs. I've prosecuted gambling crimes, other violent crimes. Uh, and I understood and I appreciated that when you're the attorney general, when you're a prosecutor – 
You can take away people's livelihoods or life, liberty, property. It's an awesome responsibility. And I didn't like what was going on in the AG's office. And so I won. And I, I, I was fortunate enough that people put their faith in me. And I won re-election in 2018. And, you know, I remember when I was running, one of the local newspapers here was very critical of the fact that I'd been involved in so many lawsuits against the Obama administration. And I said, look, if, if the people don't want a champion, someone who's pushing back against federal overreach, someone that's a principled rule law conservative, you know, then they can vote for somebody else. But I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and I'm going to keep doing the right thing in the right way. And obviously, uh, there's been a lot of litigation now with the Biden administration. I believe that the Biden administration, frankly, has become unhinged. And who, whoever's speaking at Joe Biden's earpiece uh, has really pulling this country radically to the left. And so whether it's, you know, open borders, whether it's unconstitutional vaccine mandates, whether it's COVID relief bills that restrict the ability of states to cut taxes, uh, we sued the Biden administration over all those. And so, as I said, uh, one of my colleagues is going to be on later. We'll be talking some more in depth about those lawsuits. But it's important to remember that we are a nation of laws and there are a lot of people on the far left that want to undermine and tear apart this country and undermine the rule of law and undermine our Constitution. And I would remind you that so many countries out there have constitutions. If you pull up, you can uh, Google the Soviet Union's Constitution. Uh, and actually, I guess I should be careful by saying Google because ever since I've sued them, my phone never works correctly. So uh, whatever the term is, look it up online. You pull up the old Soviet Union Constitution it guaranteed all sorts of rights and privileges. I mean, it guaranteed the right to, to speech, the right to protest, all sorts of stuff. Everything but the right to religion because they were commies. They didn't believe in religion. And, but they didn't mean anything. They were words on paper. Individuals couldn't exercise their right. Individuals couldn't push back against the overreach of the federal government. In fact, I'm reminded of a famous uh, story that Ronald Reagan used to tell. When Ronald Reagan met with Gorbachev, um, they were talking and, um, you know, Ronald Reagan said, you know, the, the amazing thing about America is anybody can walk right now into the Oval Office and tell the president that they're full of it and they hate them. And Gorbachev said, well, the Soviet Union isn't that much different. And Reagan said, really? And he's, Gorbachev said, yeah, someone could walk into my office and say that um, the American president is full of it and they can't stand him. So, you know, and, and I think that we need to remember that every tin horn dictator in the world, whether it's Hugo Chavez or Fidel Castro, uh, had a constitution or had laws, but they didn't mean anything. They're words on paper. And what makes this country so unique, so special, as we reflect on this on Veterans Day, is that the rule of law means no matter who you are, where you come from, how you spell your name, uh, it doesn't matter. We are all equal before the law and everyone is accountable. And so it is important for folks to understand, and especially our courts, our judiciary, to understand that we have a process. We have checks and balances in this country. You know, we all learn about it in grade school or high school, you know, that you have the checks and balances we think about. You know, the executive branch, the judicial branch, and the legislative branch all serves in the checks and balances. But let us not forget, the framers understood that the states were supposed to be a check on the federal government, and the states were supposed to be guardians of our liberties. And, you know, people like Madison used to talk about the fact that rights and powers are just two different sides of the same coin. 
And when government becomes too powerful and too big, it ends up infringing on our rights and liberties. And that's why it's so important to have principled people in office that understand that their role is to make sure that this country continues to be the land of opportunity where entrepreneurs can flourish, where ki- where people have an opportunity to live in safe neighborhoods, where they can send their kids to school if that's what they want to do, or they can homeschool them because this is America. And there are a lot of folks out there that are worried about our education system. And so whether it's pushing back against critical race theory, whether it's pushing back against the Biden administration trying to force um, you know, uh, hard left policies, whether it's socializing our economy or nationalizing our election. Uh, you know, we, our office, I have been on the front lines pushing back against that. And of course, none of us, including myself, would have these opportunities if it wasn't for the veterans who fought to preserve our liberties and freedoms. And so we need to make sure, like, once again, that we honor and respect them. And so whether it's critical race theory, the BDS movement espoused by some in Congress, to the shameful withdrawal of President Biden in Afghanistan. We're about to see record number inflation to a supply-side crisis, lawlessness at our border, tax hikes, socialist Democratic Democrats trying to nationalize not only our economy but our elections, to COVID vaccine mandates, which are an unprecedented power grab by the federal government. There is a lot to be worried about. There is a lot to be worried about. But as history has shown, we have principled leaders America is a strong and vibrant nation. And, you know, I, I think back to, you know, people like Jimmy Carter. I mean, think about this. If it wasn't for Jimmy Carter's ineptitude, his appeasement of communism, uh, you know, record, you know, double digit inflation, double digit interest rates, all these like terrible things going on in our country, gas lines, inflation, you know, eerily similar to what's going on right now. It, that led to the rise of Ronald Reagan. And we saw this even in Great Britain where the failed socialist policies led to the Iron Lady, Margaret Thatcher, having an opportunity to become the prime minister of Great Britain. And so in any crisis, there is danger and there's opportunity. And there is an opportunity for all of us patriots to take back this country. Bertha, don't you come around here anymore. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich. Uh, right now, about to join me is Joel Griffith. Joel is a research fellow at the Rowe Institute at the Heritage Foundation. Heritage is a very principled conservative group. Got a lot of friends there. Hopefully, uh, John Malcolm or Hans are listening in. Um, and Joel previously worked as a researcher, um, and he's also a former member of the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Joel, thank you for being here today. And thank you for having me. And I. Uh, really uh, honored to be with you. And I should mention, I, I worked for a member of the editorial board. Unfortunately, I was not on the board, just just to let you know. Oh, it's okay. This is radio. You can say whatever <laughs> you want. A lot of people say that I've got a face made for radio. I'm not sure what that means, Joel. But uh, thank you very much for having for being here today. Uh, there is so much going on in this country right now with the far left trying to, you know, consolidate power in D.C. And I was hoping you could let the listeners know or give a snapshot 
as to what is in this $1.75 trillion spending bill. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there that we hear, and people are trying to you know, sort out the facts from the fiction. So what do people listening right now need to know about the $1.75 trillion spending bill? Yeah, well, you know, it, this goes far beyond just the massive amount of money that is going to be spent. What this bill represents is the realization of a long-term left-wing agenda uh, plan that would take us from being a free market economy and put us even further down the road to making this entire nation pretty much a government-run or government-sponsored enterprise. And we've seen politicians in D.C. over the course of this last year and a half use COVID as an excuse to ramp up spending, to grow the power of government, and this package, this package would uh, really cement all of this into place. So one of the biggest components of this package is actually uh, a big part of the Green New Deal. There's about a trillion dollars, uh, close to a trillion dollars, that would go to revolutionize our energy sector. And, of course, uh, they like that word, revolutionize. But when we talk about forcing our country to move away from the abundant, affordable fuel sources that we have, that we've become accustomed to. Well, what about, Joel, what about Solyndra? What about all these other great, uh, you know, the companies that they promised were going to deliver jobs and clean energy? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of folks have gotten about the, the boondoggles of several years ago with Solyndra. Solyndra was one of these green energy companies that uh, Democrats and Republicans like to tout as a gleaming success of what the government can do by directing capital. And it is a belly up, cost taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, well, let's put that on steroids. We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars that would go to all sorts of special interest business groups. But in the process, it's going to make energy more expensive. But politicians will point to the jobs that are created in individual companies, but they're not going to tell us about all the jobs that are lost with energy costs. So this is something that's so important. As we hear politicians talk about wanting great manufacturing jobs and going to war with our trade competitors, but at the same time, they're, they're, they're doing things that will drive up the cost of energy, which this bill will do. I mean, you're talking about a little about factories. Um, electricity costs are a big component. Um, yeah, a small factory can use a half billion dollars worth of electricity in a single year. So when you're talking about a program that will drive up costs 30 to 40 percent on the energy front, that is going to bankrupt a lot of these, a lot of these concerns. But then again, a lot of the folks in the Biden administration, they brag about they brag about putting uh, carbon-intensive businesses out of businesses. This is part of their agenda, and this plan will accomplish that. And, Joel, just so our listeners understand, it's not just about increased energy costs, correct? Won't this have an impact on everything from beef prices to, you know, plastic straw? Well, I guess you can't get plastic straws anymore, but, like, you know, other consumer goods. Won't this have a, a ripple-down effect and a devastating long-term impact on our economy? Oh, it's going to have an impact on all that. Uh, we're getting a taste of that with the supply chain issues, which also have been blamed by COVID. It's not COVID. It's environmental regulations that are tightening up in California. It's the war on diesel trucks that actually went into high gear in 2021. It's the war on independent contractors that California has done. We're, we're seeing the repercussions of that now. Well, this package actually has a lot of components of everything that's gone wrong in California but buried in this package. Uh, really, a, um, it's a lot of um, uh, uh, protection for organized labor. 
to the detriment of workers who want to be independent. I mentioned the environmental issues, but then there's a whole other section that has to do with how our neighborhoods are constructed. There's tens of billions of dollars that go to so-called affordable housing, um, and they like to talk about that, affordable housing, housing affordable. Well, what it actually does is it uses a um, uh, tens of billions of dollars of incentives trying to get developers to construct units that will be rent-controlled or forcing local governments to change their zoning laws to meet what the central planners in D.C. want. So if you like your suburban neighborhood, if you like, I grew up in a nice house on a half acre, well, um, they, there's a lot of people in D.C. that don't want to have that opportunity. They want things that are much more micromanaged and dense. And this package actually pushes us further down that road as well with tens of billions of dollars in contingency grants trying to force suburban neighborhoods to basically reconstruct how their very um, uh, buildings are constructed. And is there other so overall? And I know people have you know had different discussions on these different bills and stuff. What is what, what is the national debt right now? Just to kind of give us some. National debt close to $30 trillion. That's about uh, $300,000 per family of four. It's, it's astounding. And, how, and we talk a lot about how uh, future generations are going to be impacted. Well, we're feeling it now. This $30 trillion that could have been invested in businesses, it's already been squandered. It's already been spent. And that's going to have a devastating impact on crowding out the private sector and, once again, making people more dependent on a centralized government, correct? Oh, that's absolutely correct. Every single dollar of this tax is a dollar that we don't have. So they're going to either borrow it from the private sector, which every dollar borrowed from the private sector is a dollar less that's available for businesses to invest, or even worse, what they've been doing is having your central bank print the money, buy the government bond, and then the government spends that money. And what that does is devalue the value of our dollar, drives up the cost of goods and services, and allows the government to gobble up more resources. We're getting a little taste of that now with the inflation that we're experiencing, which is totally due to the fact we've had our Federal Reserve print trillions of dollars. But this promises to actually continue the problem because a lot of the money is simply going to be printed by the Fed and handed off to the federal government. And obviously inflation is going to have a devastating impact. Is there anything else that we should know or do you want to tell folks where they can go to get more information about this boondoggle of a bill that our great-grandkids are going to be paying for? Well, this bill also tries to establish the basic universal basic income federalized education system. Go to Harris.org and we break it all down. Thank you, Joel, so much. Keep the fight up, brother. Thanks for having me. and Keep doing the great work in Arizona. Thanks. Hey, welcome back. A little limelight there by Rush, for all you fans of the Canadian band Rush. Anyway, welcome back. I'm Attorney General Mark Brnovich, and right now on the phone with me is Keith Kapusan. He is the chairman of the Arizona Board of Directors for Folds of Honor. Folds of Honor is a nonprofit organization that provides educational scholarships to the families of brave military men and women who have fallen or been disabled while on active duty in the United States Armed Forces. Keith, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all you do. And um, can you tell us a little bit about um, Folds of Honor and what role you play in the organization? 
Yeah, sure. Th uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, Folds of Honor was started in 2007 by Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney, uh, F-16 pilot, and he was coming home on a commercial flight uh, from his second tour in Iraq, and the remains of Corporate, Corporal Brock Buckland uh, were on the flight, and um, Corporal Buckland's twin brother, Jacob, was also on the flight, and Lieutenant uh, Rooney saw Jacob uh, escort his brother's body uh, to meet his family, his parents, and at that moment was the birth of, of Folds of Honor. And, you know, from there, uh, I think we've now grown to about 30 chapters nationwide. Our Arizona chapter here has been in existence uh, since uh, 2008, actually. And, um, you know, since then, we've just been doing our best to raise money for uh, the Arizona military families here in need. And, um, you know, this Today is a special day, obviously, with Veterans Day. We're, we're honoring all that have served and continue to serve. Uh, but we have our annual gala that's happening tonight at Greyhawk Golf Club. And uh, we're in the final preparations for that, so we're scrambling around a little bit right now. But, um, you know, this is one of the big nights for us to help uh, raise money and, and fill that void that exists uh, for these families. And, um, well, I appreciate you, know, I was, you coming I on. I know how busy you guys are. Can, so how many veterans or how many veterans families have you guys assisted uh, here and even across the country? Sure. So, um, you know, locally here in Arizona, since our inception, we have we have offered uh, or granted 519 scholarships and have raised over two point four million dollars for Arizona military families. Now, nationwide, obviously, with with the scope that we have um, nationwide, since, since the inception of, of Folds of Honor, I believe over 35,000 scholarships have been um, have been granted, and just last year alone, I think just for 2020 for the 2021-22 calendar year, uh, there's 6,500 scholarships uh, that were um, that were granted, and that's well over 32 million dollars. So, um, you know, we're doing our best, and and every day is um, is a new day for us, and we're doing whatever we can to help these families. And Keith, if people wanted to find out more about the work you're doing, uh, do you have a website? And then also you mentioned the gala. So maybe go ahead and plug the website. And if people want to help, what are the different things that you guys are doing to try to get the, the resources that you need to, to help out the veterans and their families? Yeah, sure thing. Um, you can go to Arizona.FoldsOfHonor.org. That's our local chapter website. You can donate from there. You can learn about our chapter, our board of directors, et cetera. Uh, we do have a separate website for our gala tonight, um, and you can go directly to fohevents.org forward slash azgala2021. And from there, you can also make a donation. You can bid on our uh, really great silent auction right now. What kind uh, of stuff do you have available in the silent auction? What might people... Oh, boy, we've got quite a bit. We've got uh, some great signed um, you know, uh, sporting equipment. We've got golf packages. We have... Uh, spa, we have hotel and stay, we have some pretty cool uh, motorized um, items you can bid on. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff from, you know, one end of the spectrum to the other. There's quite a bit. And the proceeds from this event tonight, and if uh, people go to the website, that that helps the veterans and their families, correct? That's exactly right. Um, you know, we're pretty proud to be uh, a Guide Star Platinum charity, um, also um, a four-star charity, through Charity Navigator, um, 91, 91 cents of every dollar uh, goes directly to these families, and we're pretty proud of that. So, yeah, so all the money that's raised in Arizona stays in Arizona until the 100% um, of the need is, is, is fulfilled. 
And once again, go ahead, uh, plug the website again. People know. And let me ask this. If people wanted to come tonight, is it still available? Can they still come out? Is the event? Well, we have... um we have actually sold this event out, which we're pretty proud of, um, and it's almost grown 100% in size since the last time we did this in 2019. Um, but the website for tonight, at least, uh, for the items, um, you know, that fohevents.org forward slash azgala2021 would be the best place to go to look at the items for tonight. Again, you can make a donation tonight. You can also go to our general website at arizona.foldsofhonor.org and make a donation as well. Well, thank you again, Keith, for the work you do. I hope you have a great event tonight. And, uh, you know, once again, uh, thank you. Thank you on behalf of uh, everyone in the military. Thank you very much, and and thank you for your service, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Kata. No, no. Welcome back. Attorney General Mark Brnovich here. Welcome back to Patriot Radio 960 AM, the blowtorch of freedom and liberty in Phoenix. Right now with me is a very special guest, uh, someone I know, someone I work with, um, someone uh, that's a, a good guy. His name is Bo, Bo Roysden. Bo is the Solicitor General of the great state of the state of Arizona. Bo, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. How's the family doing today? Uh, they're good. They went to the Veterans Day Parade, which was right down Central Avenue, and loved every minute of it, and uh, so they're doing great. Are they listening to you on the radio right now? I don't I don't think they are, unfortunately. Oh, that's too bad. We need as many listeners as we can today, Bo. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you for all the work you've done on, the, on behalf of the great state and the, for the people of Arizona. Can you tell us, begin by telling us, what, what is the Solicitor General? What does the Solicitor General do? Well, that's a great question. So That's why uh, I asked it. Here in Arizona, um, the Solicitor General uh, works for the Attorney General. So I'm, I'm appointed by you, the Attorney General. I serve at your pleasure. And my job is really to, to manage the appellate litigation for the state and work closely with you uh, in the federal and state courts to make sure that we're putting you know, out the highest quality representation for the state of Arizona and defending defending the state there. So everything from the U.S. Supreme Court, the Ninth Circuit, uh, the Arizona Supreme Court, and the Arizona Court of Appeals. So it's a it's a big job. I think we file about 600 briefs a year, uh, criminal cases, family cases, civil cases. So it's a it's a really interesting job. I think probably one of the most interesting legal jobs out there, and it's and it's a lot of fun. You got a really good radio voice. Uh, maybe you should come on and do the show, Bo. <laughs> hey, no, in all seriousness, and the, the work you are doing is absolutely amazing. And I was hoping, one of the reasons why I wanted you on was to talk about what happened in court on Friday in federal district court. And can you talk a little bit about our lawsuits against the Biden administration's unconstitutional vaccine mandates? Absolutely. So, we actually have 10 different suits um, against the Biden administration right now. And it's, as far as the vaccine mandate, we, um, we went into court in front of Judge Liberty yesterday and had an argument, I think, for about two hours uh, in uh, our temporary restraining order. And it was a so. What a very was the just, uh, just just look? No offense, Bo. Listeners don't want to hear about the minutia of what happened during two <laughs> two arguments oral argument. What they want to hear is why did Berno file a lawsuit? What was the legal theories that we were arguing in front of Judge Liberty? So the the 
50,000 foot view is that we were challenging mandates to require federal employees <clears throat> as well as private employees of federal contractors to get vaccinated or lose their jobs. And given the stakes, um, this is really unprecedented. Even looking at things like smallpox, the federal government never enacted a mandate like this. So we're kind of facing um, an unprecedented mandate that forces people to make the choice to either get vaccinated against their will or lose their livelihood. And so given that, we, we decided to file suit, and we were the first state in the country to file suit. Since then, I was just looking at it this morning, and five other coalitions have filed suit, but we were first, and we asked the court uh, for emergency relief to protect the livelihoods of workers, and we have federal employees or contractors. But we have that lawsuit, but then there's also another lawsuit our state's involved in um, dealing with the OSHA rules. So can Correct. you very briefly kind of explain to folks the differences between those two lawsuits? Absolutely. So the OSHA rule is put out by a federal bureaucracy called OSHA, and it applies to any private employer with 100 or more employees. And uh, it's also unprecedented. So we have co-led a group of 11 states along with Missouri, Nebraska, Montana, and we filed in the Eighth Circuit, which is based out of St. Louis, and we've asked for them to stay that rule on an emergency basis. And on Friday, they said they are going to expedite consideration and hopefully get us a ruling in advance of November 16th on that and and stay that uh, unlawful rule that uh, Biden's OSHA department put out. So. Just, you know, kind of spitballing here, and I know this was there was a little bit of this discussion during the hearing on Friday. If we accept, what are your thoughts on the notion that if you accept the logic of the Biden administration, that they have to do this in order because of health care concerns and even health insurance concerns, by that logic, would that mean that if a government contractor, let's say Boeing or whoever had a contract, that they could, the federal government could tell Boeing that their employees can't eat fatty food or they can't eat at McDonald's or they can't drink sugary soda by their logic? That's exactly right. And Judge Liberty raised that. And the Department of Justice uh, really had no answer other than to just say, well, that's different. But they never explained why. And what they what they certainly didn't do is they never explained under the, the language of the federal law why there's a difference. And I think that's important because as conservatives, we always start with the, the, the text of the law. We don't like activist judges. And so the Biden administration really has no good answer as to why uh, why they can't essentially mandate anything they want. Uh, the federal judge even raised the idea that if there was an STD outbreak, could the Biden administration prohibit uh, certain activities to curb that? And the DOJ really had no answer for that. So it just shows how sweeping and unprecedented this attack on, on individual liberty is and how little regard the Biden administration has for, for workers. And, and them losing their job under pain of um, these federal mandates. Well, you're really good, Bo. Have you ever thought about running for office? Uh, no. <laughs> Luckily, I were. I have such a good boss, I have no desire to, uh, oh, to ever run for office. You're really good. You're, you're good. Hey, really quick, um, you mentioned the Supreme Court, the number of uh, briefs and everything. Uh, you, in fact, you're scheduled for a Supreme Court argument here pretty soon. Is that correct? That's correct, on December 8th. And what's the case about? What, what, what that, is an important case- issue to our office? That, it's an important issue because it involves the death penalty, and, and for victims, it's extremely tragic and frustrating that they often don't see justice for decades because defendants are able to gum up the, the works and keep cases uh, in federal court for you know literally decades where people who committed murders before I was born uh, still haven't faced their sentence. So we're asking the Supreme Court 
to um, follow the law that Congress passed in 1996 and prevent defendants from essentially having mini trials in federal court where they introduce all the evidence and have a new judge reweigh everything and instead, you know, allow the state court proceeding to be the definitive uh, proceeding. So that's really the question is, is uh, the Ninth Circuit uh, went out and left field and basically said defendants can reintroduce all this new evidence and the Supreme Court took review to say, is that really legal or do do the courts have to follow Congress's command that they should really just be reviewing the state court rather, rather than... And the U.S. Supreme Court also, breaking news, we didn't haven't heard about this on the local media, but there was another big significant case where the Supreme Court accepted certiorari on a case that um, we intervened in. Is that correct? Another case. That's that right. Public charge uh, case. And that case will be argued in March. And that's where uh, Arizona is leading a group of 10 states to defend the Trump administration's public charge rule, which basically says if you want to come in this country as an immigrant, uh, you need to show that you're going to be supporting yourself and not um, not going on welfare. And that common sense rule, the Biden administration doesn't want to defend it. They're trying to get a, a liberal judge in Chicago to strike it down so they don't have to defend it. And that's what we're doing at the Supreme Court is we are going to defend it. And when do you think um, any predictions on what may happen in the Eighth Circuit with our vaccine mandate lawsuit? I, I predict that we uh, may see a ruling from them next Monday or Tuesday, hopefully staying the law. And uh, that will be a, a very good victory in that case. And uh, it certainly won't be the last word, but it will provide important relief for workers um, and certainty for all of us. Well, thank you very much, Bo, for all the hard work you do on behalf of the people of Arizona and everything the Attorney General's office does. Um, thank you very much. Everybody, we got a break coming up. Be back in a few. Stay tuned. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Patriot. Mark Brnovich, Arizona Attorney General here. I must admit the music has been better today on the show than it normally is. Sorry, Seth, but uh, I'd like to think that I have something to do with that. Uh, I think music is very, very important, and I appreciate everyone out there listening today. And once again, thank a veteran. And as we reflect today on Veterans Day and all those that have sacrificed so much to make this a, a free country, it's famously said, you may remember the story, at the end of the Constitutional Convention, Ben Franklin was walking out, and he was asked by a lady, what kind of government have you created? What have you wrought upon our country? And you got to remember, what was happening at that point in our nation's history uh, was really radical. This notion the framers had that our rights come from a creator and that the people cede you know, authority to the government. Um, they give up uh, – in the, in the government, enters, we enter a social compact. It was a pretty radical concept. You, know, you had kings, you had dictatorships, you had all these other oligarchs, all these other different forms of government. And the framers studied all those. They studied you know, fa- what failed in Greece, what failed in you know, Rome and all over the ancient world. And when Ben Franklin walked out and he was asked, what kind of government did you have? Is it, is it a monarchy, a dictatorship? What is it? Ben Franklin famously said, a republic, if you can keep it. And that's one of the things that today when we talk about, um, you know, the fights in the courtroom and what's going on, it's always back to that fundamental concept of what does the Constitution say? What powers does the government have? And we have to remember that ultimately the framers understood 
that the rights reside with the people and rights do not come from government, but governments are instituted to protect our rights. And I think that too often today, what we're seeing, especially with this concentration of power in Washington, D.C., is this far left, this progressive notion that if only they can be in charge, if those elites are in charge, um, you know, everything from the tech companies and the, you know, the billionaire class, if only they, they are in charge, that everything will be all right. And we know that throughout history that's failed. And our government was designed to be one of limited and few and defined powers. And so one of the reasons why our office, and you just heard Bo Royston, our Solicitor General from Arizona here on, talking about some of the litigation we've been involved in, everything from pushing back against vaccine mandates to trying to secure our border to unconstitutional COVID relief bill provisions. We're doing everything we can because it's a republic if we can keep it. And it's important that we have principled leaders and we have principled judges that understand the role of the judiciary is not to make the law but to enforce the law as it is, not as they want it to be. And so we got to make sure we continue to keep fighting. And it's especially important to remember that on Veterans Day when so many people have sacrificed so much to make this country free, to make this a republic if we can keep it. And it's our obligation now to keep it and keep up the fight. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 